an initiative of Franciscan University of Steubenville. Faithandreason.com. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Remember how in grade school, the, uh, the teacher would say, oh, it's story time. And then one of the very few times you can actually get a bunch of elementary school kids quiet, they will sit in a circle and they'll all look at the teacher with the great big little kid eyes and sit there and listen to the story. Well, I want to tell you a story. I want to tell you a story about Pentecost and a story about Pope John Paul II and about Pope John Paul II's first visit to Poland after he became Pope. And if you want to sit and listen to several stories that will just give you goosebumps, listen to stories about when Pope John Paul II first came to Poland after he was elected Pope. There are, most of us in this room, although some are younger, remember the fall of the Berlin Wall and what an amazing thing that was. And, and in 1980, the most optimistic man in the Reagan administration said, it's going to fall. It'll just be like 100 years from now. The previous administration, they were saying, let's just make peace with the thing and, and work with it. The most optimistic in the Reagan administration said, okay, it's going to fall, but none of us are going to live to see it. God and the Polish Pope had a different plan. I want to read this story to you. It's a little long, but just be that little kid in grade school with the big eyes and sit back and listen to the story. This is from Peggy Noonan's book, John Paul the Great, Remembering a Spiritual Father. A great book. Listen to the story. It says, But it was in the Blonia field in Krakow, the Blonia Krakowia, the common fields just beyond the city that provided the great transcendent moment of the Pope's trip. It was the moment when, for those looking back, the new world opened. It was the moment, some said later, that Soviet communism's long fall began. It was a week into the trip, June 10, 1979. It was a sunny day. The Pope was to hold a public mass. The communist government had not allowed it to be publicized, but it was the end of the trip and the Poles had spread the word. The government braced itself because now they knew a lot of people might come as they head to John Paul's first mass. But that was the week before. Since then, maybe people had seen enough of him. Maybe they were, maybe they were tiring of his message. Maybe it wouldn't be so bad. But something happened in Bologna Field. At least two million people came, maybe more, maybe three million, for mass in a muddy field. It was the biggest gathering of human beings in the entire history of Poland. And it was there at the end of his trip in the Bologna field that John Paul took on communism directly by focusing on its attempt to kill the religious heritage of a country that for a thousand years believed in Christ. This is what he said. Is it possible to dismiss Christ and everything which he brought into the annals of the human being? Of course it is possible. The human being is free. The human being can say no to God. No. The human being can say to Christ, no. But the critical question is, should he? And in the name of what should he? With what argument, what reasoning, what value held by the will or heart does one bring oneself, one's loved one, what loved ones, one countryman and nation to reject to say no to him with whom we have all lived for 1,000 years. 
He who formed the basis of our identity and has himself remained its basis ever since. As a bishop does in the sacrament of confirmation, so do I today extend my hands in that apostolic gesture over all who are gathered here today, my compatriots. And so I speak for Christ himself. Receive the Holy Spirit. I speak too for St. Paul. Do not quench the Spirit. I speak again for St. Paul. Do not grieve the Spirit of God. You must be strong, my brothers and sisters. You must be strong with the strength that faith gives. You must be strong with the strength of faith. You must be faithful. You need this strength today more than any other period of our history. And more. You must be strong with love, which is stronger than death. When we are strong with the Spirit of God, we are also strong with the faith of man. There is therefore no need to fear. So I beg you, never lose your trust. Do not be defeated. Do not be discouraged. Have trust. Always seek spiritual power from Him, from whom countless generations of our fathers and mothers have found it. Never detach yourselves from Him. Never lose your spiritual freedom. She goes on to say, they went home from that field a changed country. What John Paul did in Bologna Field was both a departure from his original comments in Poland and an extension of them. One by one, the people of Poland said to themselves, or for themselves, within themselves, it is over. And when 10 million Poles said that to themselves, it was over in Poland. And when it was over in Poland, it was over in Eastern Europe. And when it was over in Eastern Europe, it was over in the Soviet Union. And when it was over in the Soviet Union, well, it was over. And so I have two reactions when I read this story. First, it builds my faith. This is not an obscure legend from some long-dead saint that we can't verify. This really happened. And there are people alive today who were there. We saw this happen before our eyes. The fall of an evil empire, one of the most evil in the world's history, did not start in the war room at the White House. It did not start in some room in CIA headquarters. It started with the Polish Pope in a field full of two million people invoking the power of the Holy Spirit on the Polish nation. The fall of an evil empire did not happen by the work of man. It happened by the power of Pentecost. And so I hear this story and deep praise wells up within me. It's true. It's really true. All that we have thought and believed about the Holy Spirit, it's not just an add-on. It's not just over-spiritualization. It's true. It's real. The grace and power of the Holy Spirit is alive and with us today. It's really true. And it just builds my faith, and I just want to shout and praise. And thank God that I know the Holy Spirit. And thank God that the church is not left without hope, without grace, without power. Glory be to Jesus. 
Listen to this story. By the power of the Holy Spirit, by the Polish Pope invoking the Holy Spirit over his countrymen, the evil empire fell. Glory be to Jesus Christ. Only the power of God. Only the power of the Holy Spirit. And that evil empire fell in peace without a shot being fired. That's why they call it the Velvet Revolution. Glory be to Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit is real. Jesus Christ is real. He makes a difference in our lives. I just want to burst into tongues and just sing and praise. It's that great. It's that amazing. It's that real. But then I have another reaction to that. And as I get down from the praise, I say, how do I do that? And this can be a point of frustration for us. Because we hear a story like that, we know it's real, we know it's true, we know that God doesn't lie, and yet there seems to be a big discrepancy from what God says is possible and what I feel equipped to do. And so how is it that we bridge that gap? How is it that we really begin to experience the power of the Holy Spirit in a deep way? And as I pray on that and I meditate upon that, I've come to the conclusion that the answer is in obedience. Simple, daily obedience. In the life of Francis of Assisi, this was key. You've all heard the famous story of the leper early in Francis's conversion. He was a good guy, but he despised lepers. Not that he hated them, but he was so revulsed by them. He, he could throw coins at them and nothing more. And then all of a sudden, one day, he meets this disgusting leper on the road. And he tells a story about how the leper looked at him. He looked at the leper. And he went over and embraced the leper. And then there's that beautiful quote where he says, What was bitter to me became sweet, and it was not long before I left the world. Beautiful. And so how is it that we get the grace and power of God moving in our lives? God will give us little tests of obedience. God will put opportunities in our lap and in our day. And when those opportunities come, it is our job to be obedient, to overcome our fear, to overcome our revulsion, and be obedient to the grace of the moment. And when we're obedient to those graces, we stop and we get on our knees and we say, Thank you, Holy Spirit. Bless you, Holy Spirit. Glory to you, Holy Spirit. And in this way, our faith is built and we become ministers of God's grace and power. We all heard Deacon Larry tell us a great story, his own story, about grace to overcome race. And it's easy to sit there and listen to that and say, wow, he's a great guy, what a great story. Doesn't that just kind of warm your heart, you know? But what we forget is that there were moments of truth. Somebody had to be the first white man that he forgave. There was grace there. 
But a decision had to be made. And he had to make that decision to forgive. And there was a lot riding on that decision. From what I know, you don't seem like you would have been an axe murderer to me. I just don't get that vibe from you. Deacon Larry could have said no in that moment, and the issue is not whether he would have become an evil man. He's not a bad guy. He wouldn't have become an axe murderer. I suspect you probably would have gone on to be a very decent businessman in southern Louisiana. Probably would have gone and got his name on a couple plaques here and there. Probably would have made some human effort to, to make peace with the past. That all would have happened. But if he hadn't said yes in that moment to forgive and to begin that painful journey, the plan of God for his life would have been frustrated. The issue is not whether he would have been an axe murderer or not. The issue is whether the plan of God is going to unfold in his life. And obedience is that key. And that obedience to the grace of the moment is what frees us, is what releases us to experience the grace and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And we all have these choices to make every single day. You look at the story of Cassie Bernal, the girl who was shot in the Columbine shooting in the 90s. And that famous story of the gunman who went up to her and said, do you believe in God? And she said, yes, I believe in God. Bang, he shot her dead. But if you've ever read the book, you know that there was a whole story that went along with that. Her mother writes about how, you know, she grew up basically a good kid, but somewhere around the age of 11, she began to drift. And this beautiful girl that she had known began to just become someone else. She began to get into trouble. She began to get into drugs. She began to get involved in the occult. Read the book. It's really, really disturbing stuff. And she began to turn into this angry, rebellious, dangerous girl and her suburban Colorado parents had to make a decision they pulled her out of the public school that she was in and put her in a private Christian school and if you've ever had to deal with a child who is rebellious not just your typical angry adolescent but a really rebellious child and you start to rein that child in it's hell in your house and that's what they had to put up with for a couple of years she said every day was a battle but they stuck to their guns. They knew this suburban white way, this ain't doing it. We can't be permissive anymore. We gotta learn a different style of parenting. We gotta take back our house. We can't let this child ruin our lives and run our lives. But they had to put their egos on the line and let go of that permissive, I wanna be my kid's friend. And they had to start being parents and there was a price to be paid. But over the course of time, not only did that girl come around, she embraced the faith of Jesus Christ and died a martyr because her parents were obedient to the choices that they had to make every single day. And so how is it that we as Christians in 2010 begin to be these vessels? Because it is absolutely true that the same Holy Spirit that was poured out on the church 2,000 years ago, the same Holy Spirit that lived and moved and breathed and inhabited the person of John Paul II is the same Holy Spirit who is there for you. You can be a saint. You can be an instrument of God's power. You can be an instrument of God's mercy. 
But we, as the second reading says, have to allow ourselves to be crucified with Christ. And when those daily choices come to us that God puts in our path every single day, we have to be obedient. I remember when I was a student here, you know, I was, I was 19 and, you know, I thought I was cool, I guess, like every other 19-year-old, and I was discerning the priesthood at the time, and there was this girl on campus that, that I'm just going to be very honest with you, I did, didn't find real attractive. And, you know, when I began to pray, and, and I looked at sort of the women that were in my life, and I felt all, you know, pretty cool, and, and you know, like, wow, I'm this good Christian man, and da-da-da. And the Lord kind of gave me some conviction someday, one day, and he said, Ted, which is my baptismal name, he said, you know, these girls that you're hanging around with, they're all gorgeous women that you would be dating if you weren't pursuing the priesthood. And I felt like the Lord just sort of blow pretense right out of the water. Like, who do you think you are? You think you're that cool. You think you're that holy. You, you, you just, you're just that guy. And a real conviction came upon me. And then as I was walking across campus one day, I saw this girl that I had never really spoken to before, and the Lord said, go tap her on the shoulder and say, hi. And I'm like, <laughs> I, I just, that was the Doritos I ate at lunch. That, that, that's not the Lord, you know? It's just not. I said, look, I don't, I don't, I said, I'm a New Englander. We don't do, we're not nice, okay? Like, you just, if you're a New Englander, you respect people's space. It's our way of sort of showing respect. You don't get up in each other's face. And I said, just go up to some girl and just say hi. I said, that's creepy. I just don't do that. But the Lord wouldn't leave me alone. And he's like, go over there, tap her on the shoulder, and say hi. I'm like, hmm. <laughs> so I did it. And, and believe me, I'm not a saint. That's an exception. Me listening to Grace like that is an exception. But I did it. And I got to know her a lot better over the time that I was here. And without getting into all the details, we ended up working on a really amazing ministry together that really ended up blessing a lot of people. And so, you know, I, I looked at that as one of the few times I've probably really allowed my flesh to be crucified and looked at what the Lord did with that. And, and the thought comes to mind that if I did that all the time, I might be the guy in Blonia Field. If you did that all the time, you might be the one in your community that is that vessel of grace, that vessel of power, that vessel of anointing. It's beautiful what God has in store for us. But Christianity is a religion of the cross. If we want holiness in our lives, if we want to be that vessel of grace, we have to allow our flesh to be crucified. We have to be obedient to those choices, to those tests that God gives us every day. And we have to continue to persevere and not despair because the way the devil works, you recognize that choice, you recognize that thing that God is putting in your life, and you don't follow through, and you walk off, and you hate yourself. 
and you say, no, that's not for me. That's for guys like Father Mike. That's for people who are really holy. It's not for me. But you know what? If you fail in your obedience one day, it doesn't mean you have to do it the next God is a God of second chances. He never gives up on us. You screwed up last week, there's next week. You screwed up last year, you get it right next year. God is never going to stop offering you those choices to have your will crucified, to be obedient to the grace of the moment. Mary Kay Lakey, when we celebrated Father Mike's 50th Jubilee in religious life, she told a beautiful testimony. You've all heard, some of you have heard this before. You're going to read it in the book if you got Let the Fire Fall. And she says that what made Franciscan University of Steubenville was Father Mike simply being obedient to the grace of the day. And I love the story he tells in the early years about he actually stayed in the chapel for three hours before he would go to work with his day planner, say, here, Jesus, revise and extend as necessary, and would sit and pray and get the leading of the Lord and look at what we got today. It's not rocket science. It's obedience. We labor under this assumption that because I failed in the past, I can never do it again. Or the real power and the grace of God is really for those specialists. It's really for those people that just seem to be born that way. And it's not true. The fact that the Berlin Wall doesn't exist anymore is proof positive that it's true. Two million Poles walked away that day knowing that it was true. When we allow our wills to be crucified, the Holy Spirit will come and dwell with us. And this is what I was trying to say last night. When we allow our wills to be crucified, when we leave our ego aside, when we surrender to that grace of the moment, this is the stuff that makes the saints. This is when the Holy Spirit comes and dwells in you in those deep places of your soul that you didn't even know existed. And you become transformed. You become light. You become grace. You become the hands and feet of Jesus. Do you want to be the hands and feet of Jesus? Do you believe that God has given us the power of the Holy Spirit to transform the world? Do you believe that you can be his instrument? Do you believe that it is entirely possible that you could be a saint? Do you believe that? Christianity is a religion of the power of the Holy Spirit. It's real. But Christianity is a religion of the cross. When we have the cross and the Spirit together in our lives, there is no force in the world and none in hell that can stop us. And this is the story of the woman in today's gospel who goes to the feet of Jesus and just washes his feet with her hair. For her, that was one of those moments that God offered. Because in this time and this place, 
In the ancient Near East, they had a very different understanding of physical contact between men and women. Stuff like that wasn't supposed to happen. And she was probably known as a public sinner. And the pressure would have been, oh, girl, like, don't make a scene. Don't carry on. You know, don't, don't bother him. Just, just don't. And yet she had to make that leap of faith. She had to know that there was a deeper truth than these social customs. She knew that she needed Jesus. She knew that he had forgiveness. She knew that he had the power. And she overcame all of that human respect and drew unto Jesus. He says, your faith is great. You are forgiven. That's the model that we are given in today's gospel. If you will overcome that fear, if you will overcome human respect, if you will overcome the love of the flesh, you are the next saint. You are the next mystic. You are the next great warrior for Jesus Christ who will bring justice and peace and holiness into this world. Brothers and sisters, this is the power of Pentecost. This is the reality of Pentecost. It's for here. It's for now. It's for you. Believe in the Holy Spirit. Believe in the power of Pentecost. Believe that when you take up the cross and allow your will to be crucified, that he will draw unto you and transform you and make you and all the people with you vehicles of light, and grace, and peace. So Holy Spirit, we just make an act of faith that you truly are the Lord and giver of life. We make an act of faith that you truly are here among us. Holy Spirit, move us to repentance. Holy Spirit, move us to allow our own wills to be crushed underfoot. Holy Spirit, move us to put human respect and ego aside. So, Lord, that you may draw unto us in the deep places of our souls to make us salt and light, images and likeness of Jesus Christ in this world. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. An initiative of Franciscan University of Steubenville. Faithandreason.com be transformed by the renewal of your mind.